free kick. Colaccini nearly got ahead on it. Chiotto, great strike! Welcome back to DeMartin Download. It's been a long time coming. Obviously, things have changed here in the studio since we last checked in about, what, eight months ago. Ian Gilmore, Adam Baker, now graduates of Michigan State University, are on to the professional world, and we wish them the best. But today with us, we have Impact's very own Cameron McLaren and a special guest, Julian Burge, the East Lansing High School boys soccer coach with us. Julian, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Luca. Of course. Cam, how are you doing? Uh, no, pretty well. It's a beautiful day outside. The birds are chirping, and actually they're really not. It's just not a very good day outside, but, you know, winter is coming, so. Winter is coming, and we can feel it. We're at the peak of the college soccer season, and with us, Julian, man, uh, if you want to start off talking about your high school coaching experience and how it's been this year. Yeah, it was, uh, unfortunately, it came to... Uh, an end um, uh, just last week in uh, first round of districts for us. Um, uh, yeah, I'm the assistant at East Lansing, and we had a great season though. Um, we I think finished something like eleven five and two. Um, we ended up getting a share of the CAAC Blue title, and then ended up winning the Gold Cup, which was a really really fun experience. And then you know just in any single elimination soccer tournament. Anything can happen, and unfortunately, we were on the losing end. Of course. Uh, how many years coaching now do you have under your belt? This is my sixth as the assistant for the boys, and coming up in the spring will be my sixth as the girls as well. Awesome, awesome. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about your time at Alma College, and then we'll get into some Lansing Common stuff. But back when you were at Alma, I mean, talk a little bit about how that experience was. You know, you were there from about what 2012 to 2016. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it was it was an amazing experience uh, coming out of high school. I was a pretty pretty uh, skinny kid. Um, didn't have a ton of confidence going in, and uh, Coach Oakley at Alma and all my teammates just kind of embraced me, and I embraced them back, and we we ended up kind of turning the program around um, by the end of my senior year and then became an assistant with Oaks for just the one season after and continued the success. But uh, yeah, started off, I think, second to last place my freshman year. And uh, by the time we were done, we had made it to the conference championship game against uh, a great Calvin University team. Any special moments that you remember from your time at Alma? Yeah, there's a ton, but the one that sticks out for sure is uh, my senior year against Kalamazoo College in the conference tournament semifinals. Uh, we were the three seed, they were the two seed, so we had to go to their place and battled it out in a really, really tough 1-0 uh, win. So, and that was super special. And, and what was special, too, is that you, know, you were with uh, Coach Josh Oakley at that time, and then you transitioned to him you know, how many years later and you find yourselves at to start a Lansing Common, something that was very special for the city and for the people that supported the club. How how did that transition go? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, my relationship with Oaks just kind of continued to grow even after I left as his assistant. We developed a really solid friendship, and uh, I would see him pretty much every summer. Uh, you know, as as golfing partners and sometimes uh, golfing against each other, um, and. 
to be able to then come back and be his one of his players again was was a super super special and surreal feeling and uh, something I will certainly always cherish and would never trade. I guess kind of going into it, you know, you, Lansing Common was just one of those clubs that I didn't really know about. Luca didn't really know about until everything kind of just came full speed ahead all at once. So you know, talk a little bit through the challenges of that first season, if you do remember, especially since it was kind of, there were a few of the older guys such as yourself, you know, Esteban Russell as well and Marco Bernardini, but then you also had these younger guys, you know, kind of explain the challenges of that, of, you know, having this coaching experience, but still being a player and trying to get everybody all together at once, because it really was a magical first season for the club. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It really was. Um, Yeah, that, season you know at for any first year team it's it's really tough being able to find a group of players that really click together um and i think it's a credit to the board and to oaks really of finding the right guys that came in that first year and uh we really did ha- have this kind of quick uh bonding experience we we kind of all got along really well from the start and uh, had a really really successful first season and it's a credit to not just uh, the older guys that helped lead, but but the younger guys too, who who came in and and were immediate impacts on and off the field for us. And what kind of things does uh, it, does being in a club like Lansing Common and playing summer soccer benefit uh, a soccer player that's in their college career or starting out their college career playing? Yeah, it, it's just huge to get that high level experience. Uh, just kind of continue um, uh, just the playing and not not being rusty coming into their fall season so they get to just continue to to play it against other college players um and so you're just i think it's a huge um opportunity to improve your game and just continue to get better and and kind of come in firing into the fall season yeah and obviously knowing cam cam and i knowing that you were coming we, we had to talk about that goal against Detroit City and you're smiling you know exactly which one it is you know and we've asked you this question you know a hundred times before in the past but what was going through your mind when you were hitting that from way outside the box yeah honestly it was it was a hot fourth of July day um against DCFC U23s and um they're a very good team and I think we were up one zero um with the help of my former roommate Noah Canlis at the time and um it was, yeah, toward right at the end of the first half. So, you know, I think everyone was feeling it a little bit. The ball kind of came back out on a half clearance to me. And in my head, I was just kind of thinking, I really don't want to turn the ball over here because a quick counter uh, that leads to a goal would be the worst way to end the half. So I really just was, it was almost a hit and hope type of situation. I just wanted to put my foot through it. And, you know, from time to time I can connect with it really well. And it, that luckily that was one of those times and it just luckily found the upper corner. Yeah, man. I mean, that was a special moment for all of us here sitting down because, you know, we won't forget that hot 4th of July evening, you know, two years ago. And man, what a special moment it was. And, um, and then going into the second season at Lansing Common, you know, what was the message to, to get you back into the team? Because you came in as a player and as a half coach, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I, I always kind of saw my role more as a player. And, um, of course, the transition from Oaks to Sorg, the coaching change, saw me even head coach a game. And, and of course, you know, being the oldest guy this past season, I think um, Oaks and Sorg both turned to me from at, t- at times to to help out with it. And, and uh, 
you know, it's sometimes hard to remind myself, but I'm sure the young players did look up to me to a certain extent, um, just being that older guy with with a lot of experience under his belt. Um, so it was it was an interesting experience, I would say. I definitely um, didn't feel I was super, super qualified to be a semi-pro coach. Uh, you know, I still am young in my coaching career, but at the same time, it was an amazing experience. And um, my teammates were, were phenomenal in, in just kind of accepting me and all and all my roles and then kind of going off of that you know that as you said you got that first head coaching gig that first actual game you know what was kind of running through your head throughout that 90 minutes because I believe it it didn't work out the way that lands in common had hoped I I think that was the Tulip City game right yeah if I if I remember correctly the Tulip City cup game that really didn't matter at at any point in time of course I think I was I was coming back from Europe at that point so I'm still disheveled from that and the news of Oaks leaving and then you guys having to pretty much play a game four days after you learn about your head coach leaving but kind of take us through what that process was like before the game and then through that first through those 90 minutes yeah absolutely I mean so yeah earlier that week we all found out for the first time and I found out that I was going to be coaching that game on the same day we found out Oaks was Oaks was heading out but um uh so yeah I, I was nervous for sure I had some nerves but I Sorg had reached out to me and and asked if uh if he should be there, I absolutely thought he should. Um, he he told me that it was it was my team for the day, um, so he was taken somewhat of a backseat. But I I knew I could rely on him for for advice uh, during the game, and and Mooney as well came um, as a non rostered player that game, so he he helped out. And just then, just during the game, it, it was all about giving some of our younger guys and and some of the guys that didn't necessarily always see the field during the league um, to give them an opportunity to, to showcase their skills and and put together they put together a phenomenal performance honestly um, and just you know unfortunate to give up a set piece header right at the right at the bitter end but uh, I was super proud of the guys for the way they battled the whole night and uh, it was just a overall really great experience. And uh, you've seen the Lansing soccer scene grow. You know, you're from here. How how does it feel to know that Lansing Common is still growing and hopes to continue growing into ne- hopefully next summer? Yeah, it makes me really, really excited. I think there's everyone involved with, with the club, uh, past and present and future. Um, they, they've just been phenomenal um, This from the very start, the way they've put together the team, um, what they do in the community, what they stand for. Um, on and off the field, and then getting the right the right people to to uh, help supplement that, whether it's coaches um, or you know our fans, our players, um, just everything about it makes me really excited for it to continue to grow. And I hope that it stays here for quite quite some time. What kind of changes specifically would you like to see happen, if any? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I. I don't really know if I have a you know a change at, at the top of my head. I I know I don't know um, you know the the long term goals of the club. I, whether we'll stay in the Midwest Premier League or whether we're looking to go um, to a to a league at a higher higher level potentially. But um, the league we're in right now, Midwest Premier League, is a super competitive league, and um, this isn't really a change. But I'd I'd love to finally get a trophy. <laughs> one of these seasons so hopefully the one coming up yeah the Lansing Common lost the last two league titles on the deciding day you know Cam you and I were there I mean it was 
it, it was a lot to process. It, it really was. I, uh, I'm i still not over it that the fact that one of my better soccer goal calls is a goal that wins a championship for a team that I am not a part of. So, um, but I mean, to be fair, though, especially when you take a look at that season this past year with a lot of the newer guys, I mean, you're talking about a very young team. And now, mind you, everybody pretty much in the Midwest Premier League is a very young team. But I mean, um, Tulip City, those are all people from in and around Holland area, West Michigan. All those guys play at Calvin or um, KZU. And even hope. I mean, you take a look. There's at least five or six guys from it, um, those D2, D3 schools on all those rosters. If I remember correctly, Lansing Common, the most that they had on their roster from one school was about three players. And I remember that was a, a goal of the coaching staff was to not have this kind of like click forming um, ability where if you have multiple players from the same team, you know, that's kind of something that happens but I mean there was a lot of connectedness with a team that didn't even know each other half the time yeah no you're absolutely right that was one of the goals of of the coaching staff and um I it you know being a super young team yet it took us a little bit of time to to figure some things out and start you know gelling and and playing really well together but um once we did I mean we kind of just took off and um, really, I mean, especially some of the young guys really helped us so much this this season. And uh, yeah, I don't think anyone really expected us to be back where we were, where we ended up because of the amount of guys that we lost and just the amount of, you know, starters and guys who played a lot of minutes. But the guys who came in were were just as, as great. And uh, they 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 made this this summer super special. What was your favorite part about that um, 2022 summer with Lansing Common? I probably just towards the end of the season really finding a way to win some really really tough games I mean I look at the two that kind of stick out to me were when we were down 2-0 to Cedars FC and were able to come back and win 4-2 um, with the help of I believe a Jack Voigt hat trick and, and Gershom uh, doing everything on the field um, and then the Michigan Stars game where frankly they 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 outplayed us for a bit of the game and uh, our goalie Ethan Brandt stood on his head made amazing saves and and then of course Gershom scored the game winner with a great great solo goal and now that you're working with younger players at the high school level do you see any involvement there that are they talking about joining a summer team or looking to play summer ball uh, once they graduate once they're like seniors and want to graduate um yeah I mean well this past summer I had gosh at least three or four former high school players of mine who were my teammates uh, and plus plus guys that I got to coach against at the high school level. Um, and it, that was a really, really cool experience to be able to to shift that relationship with them. And uh, it'd be great if if some of these high school guys, current current high school guys continue to, to look to to play for a, a summer team, especially if it's if it's with Lansing, because it's it's just a really rewarding thing, I think, for me as well to have have uh, that transition of player coach to teammates. And how is that transition right now? Um, any difficulties in going from player to coach that you see differently? Are you seeing the game differently because of that? Yeah, I think as soon as I started coaching, um, you start to see the game uh, a little bit differently. You're able to see it from from different perspectives and you have to think of all the positions on the field, not just your own. And so I think it's helped me become a smarter soccer player, which as, as I've gotten older and, and, 
you know, at times my, my body lets me down to, to from time to time. I, uh, I'm able to hopefully make up with that with the decisions I make on the field rather than just pure athleticism. All right. And then, you know, we touched on this earlier right before we started, but your relationship with the current uh, Michigan State women's soccer coach, Jeff Hostler, goes back many years, going back to your club years, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, he became my club soccer coach my sophomore year of high school, and we finished it out for those three years, yeah, sophomore, junior, senior year. And, and even at that time, he was the Alma women's coach, and I ended up going to Alma and, and kind of continuing my relationship with him there. But he, he and Oaks both were two of the, two of the coaches who, who really believed in me before I had that confidence and belief in myself. So, it, you know, continued that relationship with him now, and I still get to see him from time to time, which is great. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's been a super, super positive uh, role model in my life. Uh, what kind of things that would he tell you to improve your game or give you more confidence on the field? Yeah, I, that's a good question. There were a couple of moments stick out for me. Uh, there was one, I think it was before our tryouts of, of going into my senior season. He told me that the season prior, which I, I didn't necessarily think I had a great season and I was really struggling that year. Uh, just as a soccer player, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to continue playing club or go into college playing. He told me something along the lines of we wouldn't have won as many games as we did if if the team didn't have me, which at the time I was I was a role player. I was a sub most of the time. And to hear that from him, who just he commanded so much respect, um, it meant so much. And 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 then also freshman year of, of Alma, he he stopped me in in the hallway outside of a team meeting um, right before I f- was going to find out that I was re- going on our first big trip um, with the team, and uh, I had sent him an email that summer just kind of telling him how much it him coaching me meant to me. I don't know exactly the words I used, but he told me how much it meant to him, and um, you know, just the words that he he used just meant so much. Um, it just really showed how much he cared about me, and. And for me, that that was a huge thing for me as a player, knowing that someone people believed in me and it gave me confidence to be a better player. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be an ongoing theme with uh, Jeff Hosler that he just seems to get the best out of his players, no matter the position, no matter the role on the team. You know, it, there's just a certain connection. What kind of personality would you say he has in the locker room? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's yeah, it's been quite some time uh, since since I was his player. Um, but back when I played for him, he, he had a really good combination, I think of, of having relationships with his players, but also expecting the best of them at every single practice and game and, and not, um, not settling for anything less than that. So he had very high expectations of us, but, um, because of the way he interacted with us, I felt that he could get that, could get that out of us. And, you know, how special does it feel now seeing him leading a top 15 team in the nation and could potentially win the Big Ten title this year? It's really, really cool. Um, I don't know how many people expected uh, this women's MSU team to, to do what they're doing, but it doesn't surprise me at all because of who he is and the players that he can uh, recruit in. And, uh, yeah, the way they're playing is is phenomenal right now. Cam, anything else to add? No, I'm pretty sure I'm good. I'm just looking up a few things real quick, especially about, you know, that Jeff Hostler led team. 
that we're pretty much about to talk about, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we will talk about that as soon as we get back. But we want to give a special thanks to Julian for coming in with us. Julian, it's been great to have you. It's good seeing you again, and we hope to have you back sometime. Thanks, Cam and Luca. Really appreciate it. Hope to be back. All right. Thank you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. DeMartin Download here. After that episode, uh, that segment with... Julian Burge, we move on to talking Michigan State soccer, both women's and men's sides. With me now is Jada Coster and still Cameron McLaren. Guys, thank you for joining me today. Let's talk women's. Women's team, top of the league, 12-1-3, 22 points in the league, now three points clear. All they have to do is win out the season, and the league title is theirs. Could This league title could be theirs on Thursday. Yeah, I mean... I mean, they haven't lost a game since September 4th, the unbeaten streak. They've been on an absolute tear. I mean, coming off of a 2-1 two, two victory at Northwestern was just the icing on the cake for this season so far. And now you go to, you go to Ohio State on Thursday. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, Luca, they can clinch the Big Ten title right there. And it's just been a remi- remarkable season for Jeff, for Jeff Hosser and the crew. And it's just, it's just been, you know, we, we thought they were going to be good this season, but we didn't, we didn't expect like this, like they're number six in the country now and the sky's the limit for this team. So yeah, absolutely. Jay, you're right. You know, this team, we knew they had the potential. We knew they had the players to push very high in the league, but to be where they are now ranked six in the country. Now with uh, United Soccer Coaches in the NCAA rankings. I mean, it's insane to think about where they are right now and to to say that they could be conference champions on Thursday with a win against Ohio State, it's it's getting crazy now. I mean, it's we've come so far to see this team. I know I've seen this team play in the last four years. You know, in my first two years here, they played under Tom Saxon. And to see the change that Jeff Hostler did in his first year and now second year, he's taking this team to the top. It's been crazy. Yeah, and I mean, last year specifically, I mean, you take a look at the Big Ten preseason polls. I mean, they had Michigan State down halfway through, I mean, not even in the in the top two-thirds of teams in the Big Ten going into last season. And they finished, what, fourth, fifth? Yeah. I mean, they finished, they finished in the fourth. top mm-hmm. third, at least in the, t- yeah, yeah, the top third of the league. And that's just something that not people people just didn't think about and then you take a look at Michigan State this year I mean early on it just seemed like okay your exhibitions you're still trying to learn how to play I mean there's a lot of new faces a lot of new players a lot of freshmen stepping up and I mean it's to play the the way that Jeff Hostler wants to play it takes a little bit for things to get going I mean you take a look that nil-nil tie against Cincinnati is maybe the one game that you take a look at and you say well that should be a win if you can control the weather Michigan State played lights out in that game Kozel came up with a few I believe two saves a big time in that second half but that was a game that was full of weather delays but to be honest this team people were writing them off after that nil-nil draw against Oakland at home but since then, it's been a absolute tear, as you said, Jay. That twelve-game unbeaten streak. I mean, you take a look at the teams they've beaten. Number nineteen, Colorado at home. You go at Illinois, win three 0 I mean, you've only got one tie in that span, but you beat number six Penn State on the road, and you beat number five Penn State or, or Northwestern on the road, and you went on the ho- at home against Indiana and Michigan on the same week. Yeah, and their only loss is against Arkansas, and Arkansas is arguably one yeah. of the most difficult places to play for a collegiate soccer, Not especially mention. in the women's. It's I mean, I talked to Jeff Hostler yesterday about that you know that 
law specifically. And he said, you know, that's that was just the environment that got to them. You know, they played great. It was only a 1-0 loss. In the last 10 minutes, yeah, too. Yeah, and at that point, Michigan State was nowhere near the top 25 rankings. No, I mean, teams were writing them off, or people were writing them off. A 1-0 loss to Arkansas at a very historical, hard place to play. The SEC, very hard place to play at in women's soccer. And then the 0-0 draw against Oakland. And now they're finally getting the recognition they deserve. It's only the fourth time that they've been ranked, the fourth week that they've been ranked. Both times that they've been ranked by United Soccer Coaches, the next week they fall out immediately. They were ranked, I believe, 25th in 2009. And then before that, I believe it was 22nd Mm -hmm. in the final poll before the postseason poll came out, I believe in 2005. Yeah, I mean, and we've been talking, we've been talking to Jeff and, you know, Lauren DeBoe and all these, these guys all like last week and the week before, and they've been saying, yeah, we've been paying attention to these rankings, but we're just going to keep working and we'll, we'll see that we'll see this, these rankings come up for us, you know, before we know it. And now they're, they're number six in the country and they've been on a tear. And like you said, and not just all the wins, but the Iowa game, a very physical game, was a nil-nil draw. And then the Oakland game, obviously, was, like you said, Cam, was a little bit of a stumble for them. And then they just, obviously, they got an absolute tear, beating, going to Penn State and beating them, and then going to Northwestern, a top-five team, beating them 2-1. to one. So it's been it's been really cool to see. So Yeah, I mean, my biggest question to Jeff Hostler was, how do you transition from competing for the league title to now cementing it. You know, these players haven't been in a position in their careers at Michigan State, you know, especially the ones that have been here all four years, to the point that they are now in the possibility, in the realm of winning a conference title. You know, that just hasn't happened. So to see how they transition into that mindset against Ohio State and then Rutgers, it's going to be very interesting to see. And I think that's exactly what Hasa wants. I mean, this is a coach that we're talking about that has won at GVSU and is now winning at Michigan State. And Lauren DeBoe said it after that win, I believe, against um, Michigan, that this is the standard now. This is the standard of Michigan State women's soccer. And it's honestly breathtaking to see because not to, not only can they cement the league title on Thursday, they can get help if needed. On the on basically the Big Ten's version of decision day, the last game of the season, you can you play Rutgers. Either you win that game or you lose. You either win and you're champions if you lose to Ohio State, or you lose and you see what happens with Ohio. I'm pretty sure Ohio State Northwestern play in the final game of the regular season for the women's side. So that's also helped there. But to be honest, they're in a position right now where yes, they're number six in the country, but they still feel like they're the underdogs. This is a team that everybody was still writing off three weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, that game against Northwestern was, for me, the trickiest game that they were going to play this far into the season because Northwestern doesn't play a normal way. They play a very sophisticated style of soccer. They play Cam a 3-6-1. And you know what Jeff Hostler did? He lined his team up starting the game in a 3-5-2, something that he has never done in his two years at Michigan State. I mean, you want to get it's, midfield pressure, I mean, and that's I mean, the way to do it. I mean, I mean, call, I mean, talk about how to adapt to the opponent. He did, and they executed. That's just a three-six-one, just a mid-block. <laughs> just yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you, you hear of a low block, especially in soccer late in games. Whenever you're talking about, you know, parking the bus, almost you have that back block there. 
That's just a lot of midfielders. Yeah, ima- That's a lot of congestion. Yeah, no, imagine they play almost three at the back, two midfielders in front of them, two midfielders in front of them, like almost so it's in like a, a stack almost six. In a square, and the two wide midfielders are just wide and high, leaving only one striker up top. I mean, like it's a three, two, four, one, almost, almost. You know, but they label it's it as a, a three, six. But it's, uh, but disgusting. I mean, but that's what's gotten Northwestern to number five in the country. It's because they play so well that kind of attacking style. They have numbers up top all the time. And I mean, yeah, because we have find midfielders that can just right up the wings. I mean, yeah, that's I just, mean, it just it just left me breathless to find out that they completely uh, changed their game plan to go into Evanston. And, I mean, they executed that game plan. And I think it works because of the way that Hosser plays. I mean, I talked to, you know, some of the SIDs that have watched soccer here at Michigan State about Jeff Hosser's playing Bielsa ball. If you if you know what Bielsa ball is, Jeff Hosser's teams, that takes a lot of mental effort and mental skill to be able to play that way. You're playing it out of the back. And you're playing that in a 3-5-2 against a... a Three six one, mind you. In that case, you have five. You basically have five forwards in the final third. If you're Northwestern against Michigan State's three, which is a solid center back, two wing backs essentially, and then whoever comes in in the middle. But the thing is, is that Michigan State has played that way the entire season and has been so confident in moving it outside of the back. It's essentially, and with having one of the best goalkeepers and arguably one of the best players in the nation, and Lauren Kozel, you can afford to do that. You get an extra defender with yeah, her. It's yeah, it's insane. Because because uh, players 1 through 11 have to be technically sound to be able to pass the ball well, move it with the tempo, and immediately turn into attack. You know, you don't see a lot of back passes with uh, under Hostler's team. Passes are forward, they are direct, and with a purpose. And exactly, why do you think if you ever watched those late, those late, I want to say 2010s te- Leeds teams under Bielsa, I mean, Leeds would just score. Like that, you, it's just something out of nothing because they, those players were technically sound in the championship to be able to perform to the best of their ability and build it out of the back. I mean, Leeds didn't almost break championship points records for no reason. I mean, yeah. that, whenever you're able to get that at the collegiate level with players that, you know, sometimes haven't played with each other, a lot of these transfers that come in, the fifth-year seniors that come back, this is just something that's really magical to see. Yeah, absolutely, Cam. I mean, like, like you guys said, I mean, it just speaks to hostlers and adjustments bef- in the game and then before. I mean, just and it just builds confidence in his players. And it's just really awesome to see in, in his second year, like you said, Luca, being, gaining the trust in his players and taking the step in the second year is just it's awesome to yeah, see. So. I mean every single player is bought into his system and mind you they have a very deep roster close to 30 players on that team and you don't hear a single one complain about game time you know about lack of involvement they're there to win they're there to learn and the best part is is that they're having fun doing it at the same time you know very rarely do you go to a game and see the women's team whether they lost or whether they tied like that game against Oakland you know, very rarely do they not have a smile on their face. But, you know, going on to, you know, the national women's soccer rankings, you know, I, find, I found this a little bit crazy. You know, number one UCLA um, is, back, is back at number one after last week they suffered a defeat to Stanford, who, which was at nine. And Alabama, which kept their winning record, goes from two and drops to three. <laughs> 
I you know, mean, you know, I I don't know who comes up with these rankings, but you know, but here the important part is is that we're seeing the transition from Michigan State going from yeah from the twenties to fifteen, and then now they're at at six. It's it's amazing to see you jump nine spots in a week, especially with, after a gritty one nil over Indiana. I oh yeah, mean, I mean you get a you get a win against uh, number six Penn State, and then you get a win against number five Northwestern. Ooh, there were some there were some moments in that game. <laughs> yeah, I talk about it, but you know a little bit to go on with individual stats. Ruby Diodati is now tied for first place in assists, and she is the left back of the team. And this is also her first season in Big Ten. You know, Jay, talk about how impressive. Of that is yeah she as a left back she's been phenomenal I mean to lead to lead to lead you know the Big Ten or one of them in, in assists is is phenomenal I think she's been the one that kind of sparked this team you know we always see Lauren Debeau and obviously Kozel behind the in front of the net but no Diodati's Diodati's been the one that's really you know sparked this team in, in assists and then really guided this team the way they're going so far so yeah and yeah and to, you know to finish it off uh, Lauren Dubow has eight goals in the Big Ten she passes Ava Cook's total from last year she had seven you know I mean it just t- yeah. tells you the kind of footsteps these players are, are following in and you know a lot of those players in the Michigan State team could have very bright futures at the professional level but let's move on to the men's team with Damon Rensing and the guys they are tied for second place in Big Ten was this expected not expected um I, I, I would kind of lean both I mean we, we, we come in the season a lot a lot of people wrote this team off you know like you said they're tied for tied for second and you know they didn't people said they didn't really have a lot of talent but you're seeing guys like Owen Finnerty from Michigan taking a big step and you know a transfer and then you got Jonathan Stout the freshman who played has played some key minutes for this team in the last the last couple of games, especially against Michigan for the Big Bear Trophy, and then having two goals against Rutgers, it's been really awesome to see from you know two two guys coming in, um, to coming in before the season. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about Owen Finnerty, man. It's it's you know it's not easy transitioning uh, to your biggest rival, you know, and he didn't get uh, those uh, clean sheets until the Michigan game. You know, and for me, that was crazy to think about, you know, because Michigan State struggled in the beginning of the schedule. You know, obviously they played some of the best teams in the nation. And, you know, uh, Damon Rensing kind of compared, you know, scheduling his uh, his team similar to what Tom Izzo does over on the court. You know, he schedules early games in preseason against some of the best opponents in the country. And whether they're not good or good enough to be at that level, they're gaining serious experience playing against some of the best competition. And I think that has shown in the recent games. You know, I mean, Michigan State hasn't gotten hasn't gotten much this season, especially early. You know, early losses. You know, they lost to Pitt. You know, the Army. Uh, they got the win. You know, to start the regular season, but they lose three straight after that. Notre Dame, Western Michigan, and Akron. You know, two out of the three are ranked in in the top twenty five. You know, and then. Before starting Big Ten play, they traveled to Seattle, Washington to play Washington, now the best team in the country. You know, and it was not pretty. They lose 4-1, and you're thinking, man, you know, this might not be a good season for Damon Rensing. But as soon as the clock turns to Big Ten play, they start getting results. Indiana, you get a tie, which if you've been around in recent years, 
it's not easy to play in Bloomington and play one of the uh, one of the elite collegiate soccer programs in the country. Yeah, it's it really is. Anytime that somebody goes into Bloomington, it's pretty much written off that the Hoosiers are going to win. That's just how it is. That's how it's been in the past few years. I mean, Indiana is one of those teams that when you think about Big Ten soccer, it usually runs through either Bloomington or, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, College Park. Yeah, and then moving from Indiana, they get that game against Michigan, and that's when the tide turns. You know, they get a 2-0 against Michigan. Owen Finnerty's first official clean sheet for Michigan State, and it's against his former team and Jay you were there that night at yeah. uh, at the Martin Stadium when th- they uh, they won the Big Bear Trophy talk a little bit about how that game cemented yeah, their mean, record going forward. I, I think like like you said Luca I mean that game I think really jump started the rest of the season for this team you know, obviously there's a lot of game lot, lot of season to go left but you know you get a 1-0 win at Wisconsin you go to Penn State and you lose that one but you get the win against St. Mary's and Rutgers you know I just think that win against Michigan you got the you know Red Sea Rise storm in the field I really thought that game kind of like jump started jump started the season for them because like you said t- tough non-conference schedule you lose 4-1 to one against the number one team in the country in Washington and then the rest of the non-conference schedule is pretty tough but yeah you know I think that w- that win against Michigan you know, you know high high atmosphere high atmosphere I just think you know that that win was just great for you them know, and Cam and I were talking about this the other day you know <clears throat> that game against Michigan was one of the better games we've yeah. seen uh, under a team of Damon Rensing, at least in my time here, you know, it's, you know, for a team that in the beginning of the season struggled to score goals and struggled to defend them, they got it done on both ends. Yeah, they did. It, it was honestly knowing since I've I've seen some of these players play summer ball against, you know, Lansing Common while me and Luca were there. That game, it just seemed as though some of the, the guys that I know and I've seen play, you know, for the past two, three years... It was their best games. Yeah. Case I mean, in point, Kellen Landfeld. I mean, I've talked to you, talked to you, Luca, about this. Kellen Landfeld played some very good games for DCFC's U twenty threes two years ago, including the one that he played against us in the decision, in the title decider in that first first year. Kellen Landfeld played the best game I have ever seen him play in a Michigan State or just any soccer uniform that I've been a part, been able to see in his entire life against Michigan. He looked free. He was doing things that I haven't seen him do. He was using his small stature and actually pushing people off the ball. I mean, you don't expect something out of a, you don't expect that out of a guy of his stature. But for me, it just seemed like Damon's team played a lot freer. I don't know if it was the formation change. I noticed it from the top of the stanza. It looked as though Damon went to a four-two-three-one. Instead di- of the- it, it's, it was more of a diamond formation than their traditional, you know, full-time wingers that they used to have. You know, now they got guys like Tyler Crawford, freshman at left back, playing almost every single game, ninety minutes. And the thing and, is, and he fits in right. He is a fast left back. That is the thing that people don't realize is that kid has sprints. It reminds me of Kyle Scott over at Western Michigan. And some of the teams that me and Luca have covered over the past few years where you want guys that push, you want coaches that have a formation where they can push the wingbacks up. That's what you have with Michigan State with Will Perkins and Tyler Crawford. Not to mention, Crawford can defend one-on-one. He's one of the best one-on-one defenders on the team. And not to mention, when you have Elijah Howe and Josh Adam as your two staple center backs, there's nothing getting by. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tyler Crawford, you know, th- what this team was missing last year was a left, a true left-footed left-back. You know, a lot of the times last season, uh, it was Will Perkins playing as the inverted left-back, you know, and while he's very good with both feet, you know, you're missing that true left-footer, you know, and they had Nick Stone, obviously, on the right. But, yeah, going back to your point about the two center backs, Elijah Howe and um, and Josh Adam, Josh Adam's growth has been incredible. You know, last season as a freshman, you know, a very tall, skinny kid, but you, we knew he could move the ball around well. Now, in the uh, going into the postseason of last year, you know, he gained some more weight, gained some more body mass, and continued his growth at the technical level. And, he, you know, he wins tackles, he wins balls in the air, and he moves the ball around like he's a midfielder. And he's smart in one-on-one possession. Very smart. Especially in the defending very, yeah, third. Very rarely do you see both Elijah and Josh Adam uh, losing balls on their feet. Or not even on, like, or not on the same page. It's yeah, almost like yeah. they share two minds at that center back position. Yeah, it's, you know, and credit to Elijah Howe. I mean, he can't, he, you know, he's a journeyman. You know, he's from Canterbury, Australia, and he's been around the United States in collegiate soccer, you know, in Delaware and in Florida before coming to Michigan State. And it just seems like he is the right fit for that center back line. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought. You know how he's looked like, like you said, Luca. He's looked really good. I thought, I thought, I do, I do definitely think he has a has a bright future here. And then I'm looking at guys like in the attacking portion. You know, Jonathan Stout. Like I said, he has two. He got two goals against Rutgers. Played a really good game against Michigan. And you know, I I think he definitely could be a perfect Jack Beck replacement just because you know he's a freshman and he's he's got definitely has a bright future here. And you know, Damon Rensing said today that he he's looked really good and he, he's he's really impressed by what he's seen so far from from a freshman like that. So yeah, you know, he's he's a very big kid yeah. for him, for his age, you know, and for the position that he plays, you know, you know, you know, physically very sound, you know, and uh, you know that game against Michigan, man, I, that that goal that just yeah. sealed the deal at the end, you know, shoots one with his left, <laughs> hits the post, gets his own rebound, has enough time to cut back with his right and place it to the bottom right corner. I mean, you just don't see that all the time from a freshman in the Big Ten. You also don't really see that def- type of defending from a Michigan team. No, that no, was, no, that was exceptionally poor. Yeah, <laughs> exceptionally no, you don't. You know, poor. and you know, and and Michigan, you know, historically has been an incredible team to watch in uh, in Big Ten men's soccer. Now they are their second to last place with only one win in the Big Ten. You know, that's not something that we're used to seeing from a, a Shaka run Michigan program. No, but it is a very very contested. Big Ten this year. It's a very contested Big Ten. Only, yeah, I mean, it, only four points separate one through uh, sixth place, seventh place. I know, yeah, one through one, two, three, four, five, six. Only four points separate, you know, one through six. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's tough. You know, it's anyone's race right now. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. And, you know, tied for second right now, I do think. This 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 team has you know has what it takes to be in the competition as of late right now. Um, you go you go to a really good Maryland, Maryland team ranked eighth in the country on Friday, and then you go to Ohio State, another tough opponent, and then Northwestern to close out the season October thirtieth. So three big games, obviously, um, they're gonna be really important to get some points there. But go to Maryland in a really tough environment up in uh, College Park. Yeah, I mean, and, and Damon, you, you, yeah, you yeah. were uh, you were there, and Damon Rensing talked about yeah. the Maryland, you know, atmosphere. You know, Maryland has one of the best and craziest college soccer atmospheres in terms of the fans. You know, it's a really cool stadium. You know, I hope to 
to go there one day to witness a game. But I mean, it's it, it's like a low. It's like it's really like one of the second or uh, third division, you know, games in in the U.S. You know, the type of fans that are there, the type of uh, product that you get on, at the soccer level. Very nice, but it is two away trips for Michigan State coming up. They play Maryland on Friday and then Ohio State the following Tuesday. You know, both away, you go to College Park, Maryland, then Ohio. It's a long trip, so it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how Rensing and the guys prepare them mentally and physically. Yeah, and I, I really think in terms of, you know, getting points where you need it, I mean, if you go 2-0-1, that's a victory. You go 2-0-1 in the last three games of the season. Now, mind you, Northwestern is at the bottom of the pack. They did not look good this year. They don't look good at home. They don't look good on the road either. So that getting that game is huge at home for Michigan State because if things go south at CBUS and at College Park, you still have an opportunity to possibly host a Big Ten playoff game with a victory against Northwestern on, on decision day. But mind you, this is a team that still got results against Indiana on the road. I mean, it. It's yes, they it's, lose to it's Penn all State. Possible. The only problem is, is that this is a Maryland team that just came off of a loss midweek to High Point. You know, uh, yeah, and they do not react well to those no, type they of losses. Don't. You know, I mean, you take I, a I, look at Maryland and what they've produced in the past few years. I don't know the last time that they've lost back I mean, to back. They, they, I mean, Maryland itself has produced some of the best American soccer talents that we have. I mean, I mean, last year Ben Bender goes number one overall in the MLS Super Draft. Yeah, this season killed it for um i believe charlotte uh for the charlotte fc team played really well one of the best rookies in mls so you see the type of talent that gets there but the uh, but the national tournament you know for michigan state is not out of the picture you know no. they have a top 30 uh strength of schedule which helps them a lot you know in the case that they don't they do not make it far in the big 10 tournament i think you win one game you're at least guaranteed a, a, an at large bid yeah. Win one game in the tournament, you know, fin- finish. I mean, you could even go 1 1 and 1. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Fin- and win one Big Ten game. Presumably, you're the four seed. You win one game, you're in. You have yeah. an at large bid. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Cam, if they go, if they go, Two zero and one. I mean, like you said, that's a win. I mean, going to College Park. I mean, Damon. Da- Damon said today that's we're, we're gonna have to prepare for that atmosphere and get our guys ready. But yeah, I mean, I think I mean, their strength of schedule playing Washington, getting a getting a point against Indiana. I mean, there's there's there can be a question that I mean, they can definitely try to sneak into the national tournament. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how these next three games shape out. So yeah, no, and one of the biggest questions before we wrap up here was. Who was going to replace uh, the goal scoring that Farai Mutatu had last season? And that scoring has come from a lot of different places. But let's talk about Grayson Mercer. You know, didn't start the year exactly how he wanted to, even though he was playing mostly 90 minutes, started was a, was a regular in the starting 11. Didn't really get pick, goals picking up until halfway through the season. Now he's got four goals, two assists, leading the team in goals. You know, it's I mean, it's not easy to replace Farai Mutatu with that number nine jersey on your back. But you know, for his second, for Grayson Mercer's uh, second season here at Michigan State, it's it, it, you know, it's a good product. And I think the main reason why you see that, I mean, four goals is not necessarily a lot, but Michigan State's getting goals from places that they don't really think about. I mean, you really thought that this was going to be the Jack Beck revenge tour. And I mean, you saw last year was Jack Beck to Farai Mutatu. 
the entire time. Now Jack Beck has weapons that don't necessarily score, but open up the half chances and the half spaces. I mean, you take a look. The two freshmen that also come into the team on the forward and the midfield, Jake Spadafora and Jack Gugamis. I mean... Those two kids can run. Spadafora, he can use his frame. He can win free kicks in the final third. And he's also fast. Gugamus, the Mr. Michigan Soccer Award winner, I believe, from 2022. Yes. And right by Oak, or right close to home. Right down the, at, ro- yeah, right down right the road down the at Okemos. He's super good technically. One on one needs a little bit of work, but he's still very good technically and will fight to win every 50 50 ball. So Jack Bass got people to pass to. All of a sudden, you're opening up weapons on the left side with Crawford making runs on the side. You still have your your right-hand man in Will Perkins, one of the captains on this team, pushing it up the right. I mean, this is a team that's got weapons that don't necessarily score, but this is a Michigan State team that doesn't need those clear-cut chances. They need half chances in space. That's all they need, and that's what they've been getting in the past few weeks. You know, And those goals that come aren't always pretty, but they're decisive. A goal is a goal. A goal is a goal at the end of the day, you know, and yeah, and you know, and going into the last three games of the season, Michigan State will be using you know those players to fire the team going forward. Jay, any last thoughts before we wrap up here? Yeah, I mean, like, like Cam said, I mean, you're you're getting goals from just about a lot a lot of the guys on this team. It's comes kind of just spread out, and a lot like come from Will Perkins and Spadafore and all these guys. So I just think it's a uh, you know re- replacing uh, Ferrari, and uh, you know it's. It's really, it's really cool to see like Michigan's able to spread it out and getting guys like Grayson Mercer into the action, you know, with his four goals this year. So, yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen and everybody, thank you for listening to DeMartin Download today. I know it's not your usual cast and crew. You know, the great Ian Gilmore and Adam Baker have moved on to the professional world after they graduated last spring from Michigan State. We wish them the best, but they're regulars here all the time at the Impact and at MSU. And until further notice, uh, it's Jada Coster, Cameron McLaren, and Luca Maloney here at the Martin Download. We'll catch you next time.